Welcome to this week's Manor House message. We are grateful you are listening with us today. It is our prayer that you will receive a fresh word from God and find encouragement for every season of your journey. Let's listen to this message from Pastor Mark. Jonathan Edwards in his book, Religious Affections, uses a little phrase, grace made visible. Edwards is making the point that when people experience the grace of God, not an intellectual ascent of I can define grace, but rather when they're at their worst and they realize Christ died for them, when they finally understood, not in their mind, but in what we might describe as their gut, the very goodness and grace of God, it transforms them in such a way that grace is made visible through them. Grace made visible. It's unmistakable, it's transformative, it expresses itself in ways that display God's glory, God's goodness and His generosity. In simple acts of kindness, in the giving of time and attention where others would pass by, in using gifts and talents to share God's love, in choosing others over self, it's grace made visible. For 20 years, during this time of the year, Right before we celebrate God giving us His Son, we've taken time to reflect upon how God's grace has transformed us, how He has brought us together as a family, not just to celebrate His grace, but to share His generosity. It's not some version of checklist Christianity. It's grace made visible. It's a response, one of gratitude, one that can't help but share, give, and be generous. For us, grace has been made visible in giving to the poor, engaging with foster care parents and their kids, high school clubs, supporting those on the front lines of some of the most remote nations on the planet, creating spaces for people to find and experience Jesus. It's why we were created. It's why we've been rescued. It's why we've been brought together as a family. It's been grace made visible. We were created for this. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. I don't know about you, but when I watch that video, um, I'm real excited to be a part of a family that cares about people. And we, we're, we're talking about this idea about created to give, and we're entering a season called Season of Generosity. And I, I think from the very beginning of our journey together, that we stop and we recognize that this, this is a season really about our hearts. That this is really a season for us just to stop and to reflect about the wonderful privileges that are around us every day. As we watch that video, grace made visible. It's really where we take what God has done in us and for us and through us, and we make it tangible in ways to touch people that are desperate and hurting and broken. And I'm so proud to be a part of a family that cares about sex trafficking victims and homeless people and foster care and youth and children and elderly. And you just look at all of the different things. And um, I sit there watching that video just feeling a little overwhelmed with gratefulness of what the Lord has done, not only in my life, but in our lives. Can I hear a big amen? Amen. 
And you know, regardless of what you believe about this idea of generosity, which we're going to be talking about now for the next four weeks, there's one thing that I think we can all agree upon. And that is that when someone does something unusual, when they live beyond themselves, and they take something that they have and they give it to another, whether that's time or money, whatever, it, it moves our heart. It, it, it's just like we begin to see these acts of kindness or these acts of love, and what begins to happen is we begin to recognize that God's provoking something in us to help us recognize that's actually what we were created to do, is that we were created to give. It's just like it, it provokes the heart. It's just like this, this immutable, uh, immutable um, truth that when we give, our heart feels pleasure. And, and it reminds me of a, a cute little but very riveting story of a man who was in New York City down in the Cortona district early one morning. He was on a business trip and it got lost. And he's driving up and down the streets. It's a very brisk, cold morning. Not many people on the streets yet. There's steam coming out of the manholes. And he sees this one business that's open. There's lights that are shining down on the street. And there's a little boy outside of the window looking inward. And this little boy's looking in at this baker. It turns out it's a bakery. And he's, he's kneading dough and he's making donuts. And there's a showcase that has all these fresh donuts. And there's this little boy all by himself looking in at the donuts. And something happened to the man's heart. I mean, he could have just driven by, but he stops and he gets out and he goes, hey, buddy. He says, what you looking at? He's going, I'm just watching and make donuts. He goes, would you like some? And the little kid says, yeah, please. So he grabs his hand and he brings him inside and he says, you pick whatever you want. He goes, you mean anything? He goes, yeah, anything. So he gets a box and he starts taking out donuts. I'll take that one and that one. And he fills the box up and they're walking back out onto the street. He's going to go get back into his car and the little boy tugs on his jacket. Excuse me, mister. He says, are you God? You know, there's, there's a little bit more truth in that story than we care to realize. Is what we recognize in that moment, in that story, in that man, is that we were created to give. And when we do, something happens inside of us. Our heart feels pleasure. And really, that's what this season's really all about. Um, this season's not about money, so just, just exhale, everybody. Just kinda, it's about our heart. It, it's really about recognizing that God's given us the wonderful privilege to give us time, to give us talent, to give us treasures, to allow us the privilege to be his hands and feet. And it's really a heart issue. And what I love about Manahouse family, and as I think about all the campuses from Eugene all the way to Vancouver and everywhere in between, our church is filled with thousands of people that get this. And every week, thousands of you are giving of your time and your talents to make a difference in people's lives. In fact, over the last 20 years, and this is exciting for me, we as a family have given over $15 million to help homeless people and foster care kids and people all over the world and plant churches and you can keep on clapping. I mean, isn't that exciting? 
I mean, when you just stop and you look back and just like every dollar made a difference in the heart of a person's life, every hour that you give, every minute that you spend thinking about someone, stopping your life to just go pour into the life of someone else, that's what makes this family so great. And so, you know, as we jump into this particular series together, I, I want you just to enjoy the journey. And just to celebrate what God is doing. This, this is a time for us just to come together as a family and just recognize what God is doing in us and through us. There's no pressure. Listen, we don't need your money. God doesn't need it. He's after your heart. But we're just at this place just going, God, let us have a great time during these few weeks together to just stop and reflect and celebrate all that God is doing in us. I'm just so excited about that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen, I know for many of you, this is going to be a new journey, and that's okay. Um, what we're going to find during our time together, that this is an opportunity for us to realize how God made us and, and why it is that we feel good when we give and we feel bad when we don't. And I want to I start by praying and asking, just as we launch into the series, everybody, all the campuses, just, just stop and just, just pray a simple prayer. Would you do this with me? Just close your eyes. Let me pray. Jesus, we just pray. Lord, right now, Lord, that you would come and speak. You would visit us. And God, you would just show us, Lord, just how thankful we should be for what you've given to us. And Lord, I pray for every heart just to be open, God, to just... Lord, to receive what you're saying, not what I'm saying, just simply what your word says, God. And we just want to apply it however it fits for us. So we ask this thing in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, why don't you do me a favor? If you'd open up your Bibles to John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I want to look at the first eight verses. I also want you on every campus to pull out this created to give booklet. I'm going to encourage you not to look through it, but I want you to turn to page four, and what you're going to find is this is a booklet that we want to take you on a journey with us over the next four weeks. There's a place to take notes. If you need one of these and you did not receive one when you walked in, there will be a service host. If you just raise your hand, all campuses will make sure that you get one of these. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this um, at the very end of the service, but what I want you to do is just go to week four, pull out a pen, and I want you to take some thoughts and some notes and maybe journal some things as we move forward in this series that will help you on your journey to understand we are created to give. As we look at this particular portion of Scripture, and again, just keep your hands up, all campuses, the service hosts are making their way around. What we see is that this is a story that unfolds. It's a small group that's taking place. It's Jesus with a couple people that he deeply loves sitting around in a room. And as this story unfolds, what we're going to find in this particular portion of Scripture, that Jesus shows us something real simple. There's two ways that we can approach life. And I want to look at these together. So if you look on the screen, again, I want to read these eight verses to you. From the New King James Version, it says this. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who has been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Understand that Jesus just came from Bethany where Lazarus had risen from the dead. This is an important part of this story to understand who is in the room. Then Mary, Lazarus's sister, 
took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. What a thought-provoking story. I mean, here we have Jesus in a small group with people that he deeply loves. And there's two characters that emerge. Mary and Judas. One that lives life a certain way, and that is their life is devoted towards living life beyond themselves for God and others. And we see Judas, who lives life for himself. And what I want to do in our time together is I just want to unpack these two different approaches. I want to do a character study, if I can, about these two to just say, where do I fit in this story? Because when I look at this particular story, there's some thoughts that emerge in my mind. I think about Mary. And I don't know about you, I go, why would Mary? Why would she do something that seems so extravagant, like so unreasonable? I mean, 300 denarii, that's like a year's worth of wages. I mean, doesn't that seem a little extreme to you? I don't know how much you make, 40,000, 80,000, 300,000, to just take it all and just pour it at Jesus' feet. Doesn't that seem just like a little unreasonable? I have to ask myself that question. And then I ask myself the question about Judas. I mean, what does it matter anyways what Mary's doing, right? I'll do my thing, you do your thing. It's not even his perfume anyway. What is it that agitates him? Why is he so critical about the situation? What really is his motive behind his requests? But here's the kicker for me. I stop and I ask myself the honest question in this story. Where am I in the room? You know, as I sit there and I think about that, because that's what Scripture's supposed to do. It's supposed to come alive and speak to us. Like, am I Mary or am I Judas? Do do, do I live my life honestly every day thinking about people that are around me that maybe I don't even know? And do I go out of my way to care for them and love them and serve them and help them? Or am I like Judas? I just kind of want to live life for myself. And as we look at this, I think this is the big idea for this morning that I want us to get. And I want you to see this, kind of the big idea is this, that life is really boiled down to two approaches of life. It really comes down to this. Those that live for themselves or those that live for God. Out of the seven plus billion people, it really boils down to two categories. You could throw them into those two categories. And here's the good news. You're in one of those categories. And so am I. So let's just take a few minutes and let's, let's look at Judas. Let's look at his approach to life. And I'm going to just call it the journey that puts self first. And from a first glance, as you look at Judas, it appears that he has a genuine concern. 
In verse 5, he says this. He says, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This year's worth of wages. What in the world is this crazy lady doing? It kind of seems genuine. However, this is an important part of the story. Jesus wasn't concerned as much for the question as he was to its intent. In other words, he, he, he really wasn't cared on whether... Judas had good accounting skills. He wanted to know his motive behind the question, like with us all. He wants to know what's going on in our heart. Our heart simply, if you look at it, money or time or energy, those are the thermometer that actually just measure the temperature of the heart. And so here he is, he's just wanting to have this heart moment, like, where's your heart, Judas? And truth be told, as we look at this story in verse 6, as, you, as the story unfolds, it says that he didn't care for the poor. It goes on and says he was a thief, he had the money, and that he, he used to take what was put in it. So he was selfish, he was self-centered, narcissistic, and actually he was an uncaring thief. And when you look at this story, I, th- I think one of the, the truths that emerge here that we, we have to ask ourselves and take scripture and let it reflect on our heart. I see this truth emerge, that those who are unwilling to give are usually the most, are those that are the most cynical to the giving of others. You know why we do that? And again, I'm putting me in the category. We're always trying to remove ourselves from conviction. See, and if there's some way that I can put someone else down or separate them, I can feel better about myself. And this is exactly what Judas is doing. It's like he didn't give anything, and now he's going to come and be critical or cynical in a way that maybe he makes himself look a little bit better. And this is really what it it reveals, and I think which is such a, a challenge in our community today or in our world today is that the greatest enemy of generosity is selfishness. And here's the kicker when you look at it. It's a disease that we all have. Just as we talk about Judas, it's easier for us to go, I'm not like that. We're doing the same thing that Judas did, right? We're trying to find a way to separate ourselves. The reality is we all had this disease. We were born with it. It's called sinful nature. We just, if, if we're left to ourselves, what we want to do is things that are wrong. We want to live for ourselves. We want to hoard. We want to hold. Jesus wants us to live the other way. And as I think about this story, I think that really we don't have to teach each other how to be selfish. Think about your kids if you have them. You, just, you get them around the table at Chick-fil-A, you put out some waffle fries and you say share and you're going to watch the demon of, of selfishness manifest themselves just trying to figure out who's going to eat those things and take them, right? It reminds me of a funny story is that this uh, Sunday school teacher had a group of 10-year-old boys and they're sitting around in the room and she's trying to get after this idea of generosity. She says, well, how many of you here today would be willing to give a million dollars to mission? And they go, yeah. She says, well, how many of you here would be willing to give a thousand dollars? And they go, yes, yes, we believe, right? Well, how many of you would be willing to give a hundred dollars? And it's just like, Yes. She goes, well, how many of you would be willing to give a dollar? And they all go, yes, except Derek. Derek's got his head down. Teacher smiles and says, Derek, you 
cheered on all the others and you're quiet now. It's just like, why didn't you say yes? And he goes, well, it's, 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 it, 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 it's, it's because I got a dollar in my pocket. It's real easy to be generous with stuff you don't have. But as soon as it hits your hand, don't matter if it's a nickel or a penny, it's mine. And as I think about this story and I think about Judas, this is exactly what's going on. But I think about this little boy, and I, I, I have to be honest and say, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that little boy in me. I mean, I, I try to be generous and I try to live that way, but if I'm not careful, I can revert back to being, it's mine. I want to hold on to it. And again, this isn't a money issue. It's just simply when I do this, that's what my heart looks like. Right. See, as soon as I tighten up my hand over something that I think is mine, time, talent, treasure, my heart looks the same. My hand gets hard, my heart gets hard. Wow. And, and this is exactly what we're seeing that Jesus is trying to portray to Judas. But I have to ask this, this next question. Why did Jesus allow Judas to be in charge of the money box if he knew he was stealing it? I mean, he'd go around and get in the money box at that time, this offering box, they would use it. It was, it was to help people. And every time they would do it, you'd put it in. Jesus knew every time, here's what Judas would do. And he let him continually do it. Do you think that Jesus did that to allow him to fail? I think it's the contrary. Here's what I think that was happening in this particular situation. Jesus was giving him daily opportunities to get his heart right. We saw the video, Grace Made Visible. Your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever it is, Every day, God does that with you. Every time you get a paycheck, right? Every time you have some extra cash, every time you got some extra time, serving, not serving, giving, not giving. God is giving us the opportunity, like Jesus, to make sure our heart's right. And one of the greatest things that begin to help us to have a healthy, pure heart is to give, is to take something we have to break the selfishness off. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was doing it because he loved, Jesus, loved Judas, not because he, he, he hated him. He's going, I'm going to give you another opportunity to just simply get your heart right. Here's the good news. We don't have to live like Judas. And so I want to look at Mary and look at the other person in this story and what Jesus thought about Mary's life, and again, how she approached life, and again, I'm just going to call this the journey that puts God and others first. And we know from our opening story, when we do stuff that helps people, your heart comes alive. And so I go back and I think about Mary, and again, I'm just asking myself a lot of questions versus making statements this morning. I think about Mary and ask this question. What would make Mary give so freely and so extravagantly? Why would she take all of this and just give it there? And I think that we find the answer in verse 3. You know, it says this, that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled 
with the fragrance of the oil. Here's what I learned that's the contrarian view to Judas is that a generous heart is a sign of a grateful heart. One that doesn't give doesn't understand gratefulness. As you look at this particular story, this is so important. As it unfolded, we read about Lazarus. Lazarus was sitting in the room. I don't know what the conversation was or what they were talking about, but here's Jesus and Judas and his followers, and here's Lazarus and Mary. And If you just go back one chapter in John chapter 11, what you begin to find is that Lazarus was dead. And for four days, they grieved and cried out. He was like, he, he, he stunketh. I mean, he was like dead, dead, four days. Je- Jesus comes on the scene and ri- raises him from the dead. And we see out of that chapter, they're having a small group. Imagine you being in a small group with someone that's been dead for four days and they're sitting there. That would be a small group discussion. That's what's happening here. And so when you think about Mary, as she's sitting there listening and talking to Jesus, and she sees her brother that was dead that's now alive, something unlocks gratefulness. And she begins to recognize that there's something that Jesus did that she's forever grateful. She rose him from the dead. I think it's important, you know, as we read Scripture, we come upon these different nuggets that we stop and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But this is what I do when I look at this. How grateful am I that I was raised from the dead? Now, I'm speaking about a spiritual context here, but I was dead. I don't deserve the life I have. I wake up every morning pinching myself just in tears, just thanking the Lord for, for my, fam- my beautiful wife and my children and grandchildren, this beautiful family that I get to be a part of and the way he's blessed me and his peace and his joy. Yes, I have trials and problems and hangups and struggles and all that stuff, but in the midst of it, it's like I'm forever grateful because I once was dead, right? I once was lost, I now am found. I'm forever grateful. It's no wonder she takes a little number five Chanel and just kind of drops it at his feet. It's just like, it's just perfume. It's like, who cares? It's going to burn. It's just like money. We're not taking any of that with us. But here was this tangible way to show gratitude. And we have to ask ourselves the question, how grateful are we for what he's done for us? See, see, this determines whether we live like this or whether we live like this. And again, I'm not talking about money. I'm not, I'm, this isn't about money. This is about our heart and our hand and what we do with it and what's in it is an indicator of what's going on inside. Mary just went like this. She just went, bam. She was showing Jesus, my heart's right. I want to live life for others. Listen to what it says in Ephesians, and this is so important. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Paul's talking about this idea about being raised from the dead, if you will. And he says this, but God is so rich in mercy. How many are thankful for the mercy of God? Priceless, unparable, 
on whatever. It's just like, God, thank you for your mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead. He raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. So we have these two, two, two examples. We can live like Judas. We can live like Mary. This, this is the story here. It's really saying we're created to give. But, but here's, here's why I want to land the plane this morning. It's just this one thought I wanted to bring us. If you just get one point this morning, it's this. Is God rewards a generous heart. God rewards a generous heart. And see, Jesus makes the outcome of our life choices really clear. When you choose to be generous, God will reward your generosity. It's not necessarily that you give one and you get back ten, or you give an hour and you get back ten hours. It's, it's, it's so much more than that. It's, it's like quality of life. It's like you, you feel content and you smile, your heart has pleasure, and there's peace, and there's joy, and there's all of the things. Again, trials come our way. We just finished a whole series about storms of life. We have storms, but it's just knowing that in the midst of them, he's with us, and his peace, and his joy, and his grace, and everything that he does. But he makes this statement, and this is so important to understand. Jesus makes this statement in another one of the Gospels about this story. So John talks about it. Matthew talks about the story. And in Matthew 26, he says this. He says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. Like right now. We're talking about someone that gave something 2,000 years ago. Now, now, she didn't do it to try to build a name for herself. It's not like, I'm going to be world famous. Like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have a million Instagram followers. Or if I do this, I know that Kanye West is going to invite me to the new Jesus is King album, album reveal party. It's just like, it wasn't like there was a motive behind it. She didn't care if she got anything in return. She just did it out of gratefulness, and God says this. Uses the story in Jesus to just go, let's... Let's make sure that the world sees her heart, her approach to life. Wow. And here's the unchangeable truth that we see in all of this is that if you give, God will bless you. It just will. See, there's no power on earth that, that, that can stop this immutable truth. The Bible says if you reap, you sow. In whatever context you give. The Bible says that if you're generous, that God will give you generosity. I love what Robert Morris says. He says, God cannot not reward you. Hallelujah. And I know that kind of tweaks some people's theology, but it's just, it's just a simple part of life. You reap what you sow. Here, here's what Paul says this in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. He says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds... We'll get a small crop. You reap what you sow. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you must each decide, and he uses these words that we've been talking about all morning, in your heart. Let's start with in your heart. 
how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Heart, merry heart. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will have everything you need, and I love the way he finishes this, and plenty left over to share with others. And I'm going to have our worship team come to the stage on all of the campuses, if you wouldn't mind coming out. I just really think, you know, we're going to go back into a time of worship. And the way we've set up our services recently is we, we want to put worship at the back end so that we have a, just an opportunity just to open up our hearts and allow the Word of God to work in our lives and to speak to us. And it's more than singing songs. It's where we just begin to look upward and thank Him and give Him glory. He speaks to us. And there's something that's supernatural and very special that happens when we engage with Jesus in that way. But, but let me ask you, as, as we, we close today and as our worship teams come out on all the campuses, where do you fit into the story? As I think about the people down in Eugene, and thank you so much for all of your generosity, and I think about Mill Plain and downtown 217, people here in this service, people in, online all over the world. What would it look like as a family if we just came to this place and we said, God, make my heart like Mary. God, help me not to live life like this. Again, this is just a heart issue here. What would it look like if we all lived with this idea that when we leave here, we're looking for someone to love on, someone to serve, someone to pray for, a waitress to connect with, a guy on the street corner? What is it? Saying, God, help me. Help my heart. God, I don't want to be like Judas. I want to be like Mary. Would you do me a favor on all the campuses? Would, would you stand to your feet? And here's what I want to do. I, I, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go back into worship. But would you do me a favor? Just, just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. And just maybe even put your hands on your heart, if that's okay. And, and let's, just, let's just pray this prayer before we go back into worship. Jesus, we want to thank you this morning. Lord, that you gave us life. Lord, we go all the way back to the beginning of time and, and you chose to create humanity that we might have an intimate, personal relationship with you. And then you provided everything that we need. God, we see the garden and from that time all the way through, God, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, the relationships that we need. God, we look all around us and we see, God, you are a God that gives and gives and gives because you're a generous God. And Lord, you said we're created in your image. And if you're that kind of God, a God that gives, God, would you help us to be like you? God, would you let us see that we're image bearers of the Almighty? Lord, if there be any kind of hardness in our heart, carnality, 
self-centeredness in any way. Lord, I, I'm, I'm praying more than anything, God, that this, this would be a series about heart, not money. It wouldn't be about time. This is simply about our heart, God. God, touch our hearts today. Lord, and as we go back into worship, and Lord, we even sing this song, I Build My Life. God, would you move upon every person that calls Manna House their family? Touch us in a mighty way. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to another Manna House message. Our hope is that you find fresh bread for your journey each time you join us here. Until next time.